Hola y bienvenidos a la Daily Hustle. Soy Enrique Barnes y presidente de su mejor cerveza. Y 818 es el mejor tequila. No abate por No Filter Network. Miguelito Sandiaguito, a.k.a. Bobby Ball, a.k.a. Bobby Barrels, as he's known in Savannah. Look, he's not here, but dead or alive, job or no job, and we do know he has a job. We properly salute him. Yes, 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 yes. Woo. Remember this, folks. When we are juiceful, we are useful. And when we are juiceless, as you know, class, we're fucking useless. A very pleasant good morning to you, the 22nd of September, 2023. Figured I'd pull out the pocket didgeridoo. If you don't know or understand the benefits of playing an instrument, and especially your uh, wind instrument. This is one of the oldest wind instruments in the world. As a matter of fact, now, I'm not sure if it was a pocket dig, which was the original dig, but we do know that didgeridoo definitely was the oldest wind instrument. So let's just give it a little. help you increase lung capacity is just like a really nice release i mean first and foremost we are a life optimization podcasts so with that of course we're sponsored by kt tape here's the kt tape wipe it removes the dirt oil and lotions before you guys go ahead and tape up with my recommendation would be the pro oxygen tape this is a good shit this is the stuff that really gets the blood flowing. Need to get some of that on my quads today. Still sore from the other day firing down the ski mountain. And then blister prevention tape for all of those who like to get after it out on the trails, uh, the runners, whatever. But we all know you got to have the shape safe. We want to keep the package nice and tight, nice and clean, uh, fresh. And tape free. We're also sponsored by Verge. Try Verge. It is unbelievable shit. I mean, it is really, really good. Through these little shots of lemon, ginger, honey, cannabis, all the above. Go to tryverge.com. Ask for our guy, Jory, over there, and he will take care of you. On that note, if you haven't picked up a copy of the DH-222, Unfiltered life guidance from a human crash test dummy. Slap yourself in the face. Kick yourself in the balls. And go ahead and grab yourself one of these. And while you're there, pick yourself up a footboard too. September 23rd, so it should be tomorrow, is when we get our footboards back in stock we changed our shipping facility which will now be running out of amanda panda can of worms house in san diego so looking forward to being able to ship those out again i apologize for any delays that 
anybody has dealt with and young professor yes dude you have boards coming your way i gotta figure it out as soon as uh they get to san diego i'm going to personally make sure that we have not just one but multiple boards apparently the young professor who's a great host of the savannah bananas on field ordered a footboard months ago and just got caught in the fray and it never showed up so Anyhow, we've got a great show scheduled for you guys today. We'd like to welcome our partners at Caffeine TV, Bleed Podcast Network. Henry Markin, our Gen Zer, uh, wants to come on today. And apparently, he has some very passionate feelings about the San Francisco Giants and wants to uh, somehow, some way, divulge to all of us how and why that they are headed in the right direction so when so many people have jumped off the giants bandwagon henry has decided that well their season's done i'm gonna jump back on so look forward to hearing what he has to say he's gonna join us at the top of the hour and on that note quote of the day applause is a receipt, not a bill. Dale Carnegie. Uh, Daily Hustle translation on this one. Because you receive praise does not mean you owe anybody shit. Yet, on the same token, because you give praise, that does not mean that person that receives the praise owes you a single fucking thing. Make sense? Look, we reward good work, but by us rewarding good work doesn't entitle us to anything from the other end. Yet at the same time, if we're the ones that are doing good work and we receive praise and applause for that good work, that's all it is. There's nothing more. You don't owe them anything. Now, it's up to you because here's the receipt. And that means a couple things. Number one, it's just, okay, this is what happened and it's over. But I would make the argument that that alone, the receipt alone should be motivation to go ahead and get back to work. Really great quote this morning by our guy, Dale. The what the fuck fact of the day, the ancient Romans used to drop a piece of toast in their wine for good health. Hence, why we raise a toast. Never do that. Had no, no, no idea. Now, it does make sense on the toasting because you're like, well, okay, where do they get it now? Does putting bread or toast in your wine make it healthier? And to answer that, I mean, you've got to assume the bread's going to soak up the alcohol. So it's sort of defeating the purpose. The other thing that the ancient Romans did, I know, because this is how I like to drink my wine, is they put ice cubes in it and they water it down. If you drink wine straight back in the day, you were considered an alcoholic. So what does it say about 
the rest of America that typically doesn't do that. A joke of the day. Why don't they play poker in the jungle? Too many cheetahs. All right. As I mentioned, we're a life optimization podcast first and foremost. And we like to start each day with something that will ideally benefit each and every one of us and something we can apply. So today's article that I found was five ways to recharge the brain. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, let me turn this Wi-Fi off here. Get it rolling. Okay. It says, with modern life so jam-packed with activities and simulation, it's hard to completely unplug and relax. But that's something our brain needs to repair and restore itself. It goes on to say, what can you do to make sure your brain is well-rested? Well, Garfield here has five tips. Number one, get enough sleep. With apologies to the folks who believe they can get by with four or five hours of sleep per night, you really need to be putting in much more quality face time with your pillow, ideally between seven and nine hours per night for adults, depending on your age. Quote, it's not something that people regularly think about. And they're quite surprised when I say, well, but if you don't sleep well, that's linked to all these nasty things, essentially. There's a lot of emphasis on diet, having a healthy weight, and exercising, trying not to get diabetes, and all these things. People say, oh, yeah, but I can sleep four hours a night and I'm fine. And they don't understand that actually the cumulative effects over time are really not good for you. Set a consistent sleep schedule. Go to sleep and wake up at the same time seven days a week, which can be difficult, Garfield says. This is important because it sets you up to get those seven to nine needed hours of sleep. I do think that's really important. Where, and I've heard this before, it doesn't matter what time you go to sleep, but you want a consistent wake-up time. And that's the easiest way to deal with any sort of sleep deprivation that you may have. So, for example, if on a normal night, I'm in bed by 11, I like to usually be out by 12, and I'm up by 6. If I could pull that off, great. Well, we do know that when the weekend hits and Jesse and Dennis decide to Overserve me when I go over to their house and uh, houses and you know have way too much tequila. That bedtime might be two a.m. Well, it's amazing because even though it's only four hours later, I pop up like this at six. Now, I've always been one to as soon as I pop up, I get up. I don't try to force it to go back to sleep. Or anything else, but a consistent sleep schedule is obviously huge. Uh, the third one here: settle in for a short siesta. I just I don't know how people do this. I really have no fucking idea. Uh, napping is I just I don't know if I'm just too hard charged through the course of the day. I do feel that lull 
in the afternoon. And it's usually about four o'clock. And that's the time that I will go for my second run. That's the time where I'll go play pickleball. Naturally, our bodies go through these, you know, rhythmic sort of things throughout the course of the day. And that four o'clock early afternoon, I should say late afternoon, is a time where I think it was, I don't know if it's Italy or Spain, but they actually take that time off and for napping or to go get coffee or whatever it is. And then they recharge and go back to work through the night. So it says there's no shame in taking a short nap. A really obvious one from us would be to take a nap. Garfield said maybe up to 30 minutes because we know that this is quite beneficial for the brain. So we literally take a break and try to fall asleep for a small amount of time. No, I just mentioned it's really difficult for me to fall asleep. So because of that, if there is a time in the middle of the day that I do want to go for that recharge, I will put on my calm meditation app. Makes a lot of sense. It says, although her team found a positive effect on the brain associated with short daytime napping, other studies have found napping is associated with negative outcomes, including a higher risk of high blood pressure and stroke and being diagnosed with Alzheimer's. What the fuck? Hold on a second. Like, why are you writing this in the same article? Look, I don't need your personal opinions. I just want what this article is about. That is wild. So you have the one doctor saying you need to take a nap, and yet the person who's writing the article is uh, is saying that other studies, is, is referencing other studies that found napping is associated with negative outcomes. Oh, wow. What a conflicting world that we live in. The one thing I would tell you is that listen to your body. If a short nap can fire you up and recharge the rest of your day, go for it. And if it doesn't and you feel droggy afterwards, well, don't do it. I do know that one of the best naps, and I've read this as a life hack, is that you drink a cup of coffee or an espresso and then fall asleep and then wake up 20 minutes later. It's supposed to be just fucking electric and energizing. Uh, Next one here, get some exercise. Sleep and napping aren't the only ways to give your brain a break. Moving is also important. There's a lot of evidence that suggests going outside and taking a walk is really beneficial, particularly just maybe disconnecting from devices and being in touch with nature if you can. I have gotten in a rhythm of going outside and when I do my runs in the morning, it's, it's no phones, it's nothing. It's just whew, no earbuds. I'm not listening to shit. It is energizing. I, it, de- it definitely it's just, you do your best thinking in the shower, by the way. I just read something else on that when I was looking at random facts, which uh, I, you know, I, I now have these random facts that we're presenting every single day. That was one I was going to save for next week. But when you can put yourself in an environment when the mind works the best, just think about it. I know my mind works best when, say, for example, I'm standing up. We had this big talk with Biscuit the other day because he was downstairs and he's sitting in the this big chair and he's kind of scrunched over and he's trying to do homework. He's like, bro, 
get up, sit up. Like this is the type of thing that stimulates the mind. The treadmill, that's where I do all my riding. Literally hiking on the treadmill. Like anywhere between four and 4.6 miles per hour and at like a two to 4% incline. I, that's when the blood's flowing and yes. Uh, do something that's a little mindless. Yeah, this is one that I think we overlook a lot. Um, because I always feel like whatever I'm doing needs to be, how do you say it? Just efficient, effective, meaningful. So when I do mindless things, whatever that would be, I just say watching mindless TV, so to speak, uh, a show, I don't know. But when I do these mindless things, I just feel unproductive. But I have heard this before, that we all need this time to be able to not think too hard. Or My mom was the one that tell, told me about it, and then I looked it up, and I'm like, damn, man, she's right. So it says, I think for me, recommending things like meditation and mindfulness, they're very obvious, but actually a lot of people find this really difficult, me included. Garfield said, noting that she can't just switch off her brain. She recommends other activities that require less brain power, watching television, but nothing work-related, Garfield emphasized, or even going grocery shopping. Just don't use electronics within an hour of going to bed at night. I have an issue with that. I mean, I don't try to, but since my world, like most of our worlds are lived on electronics. Quote, it's really important, again, to emphasize that these things are really individual and it depends on the person. So there they are, the five ways to recharge the brain, get enough sleep, set a consistent sleep schedule, settle in for a siesta, get some exercise and do something that is a little mindless. Okay, uh, the 49ers last night were good. They are the number one ranked team in the National Football League, now 3-0. and But they went in and took care of business as they should have against a New York football Giants team that's meh. So on that note, it was Brock Purdy. I decided to start him over Lamar Jackson. Biscuit thought I was crazy. I just think, look, the margin, if Lamar Jackson goes off, and don't get me wrong, I think he does have the potential to go off for 40-plus. But I am going to sacrifice that. Now, if Lamar Jackson was playing Thursday night football, I knew I was going to spend some time to sit down and watch, I would have started Lamar Jackson. Instead, I go with Purdy, throws for over 300, a couple of, touchdowns no picks gets me 27 and christian mccaffrey if this is not one of the greatest fantasy football players of all time i don't know who is he does it all he does everything i think it was five receptions uh 80 something yards rushing a touchdown 22 points total for mccaffrey the 49ers cover the spread easily it was uh 10 10 and a half whatever you got it i got it at 10 the under Cash is in. It was 44 points, but the actual bet that was laid by myself and Pepe uh, Giuseppe Manuele was the 
teaser, which was the Niners to the under, which he handed out yesterday on Pepe's parlay show, which seems to be on fucking fire, man. So great call by Joe. We posted it before the Niners game. It's up there. We're not afraid to put our balls on the line. And then afterwards, we did a little recap of the back up the truck play of the day. And it was the Niners minus four and a half with the over under being, I think it took it down to about 37, 38. So anyhow, uh, that hits. We have Henry Market coming on here shortly. Uh, Before we get to that, we do have the MLB scores that I want to go over from yesterday and then take a quick look at what we have coming up for the weekend and the pennant races and everything else. But yesterday it was the Angels at Tampa and Tampa Bay won that one 5-4. So they're keeping pace with Baltimore. As a matter of fact, I think they're probably just one game back now because Cleveland beat Baltimore 5-2. It was Milwaukee 6-0 over St. Louis, Atlanta 10-3 over Washington. The Yankees back above 500, taking a look, obviously, every single day on that 1992 record of winning seasons for the Yankees. They have not had a losing season since 1992. So this is coming down to the final minute here to see if they can stay above 500. But that's all they're playing for at this point. It was Philadelphia 5-4 over the Mets. And Nick Castellanos, stay fucking hot, dude. Uh, Another homer. This guy has been absolutely in fuego. Pittsburgh 8-6 over the Chicago Cubs. They get another victory at Wrigley Field. Detroit 7-3 over the A's. A's have 107 losses. Holy shit. And then the Giants at the Dodgers just put a fucking fork in them. 76 and 77. They're done. Uh, Brevia with the loss. Miller with the win. Not looking good for the San Francisco Giants. So taking a look at the standings here. You got the Rays are a game and a half back of the O's in the East. The Twins are comfortably up in the Central over the Guardians, eight and a half. The Astros, Mariners, and Rangers, all within a half game of each other. Astros are on top, and the Mariners and Rangers are tied. The Braves, well, they're at 98 wins, and they've already clinched basically everything. I guess the only thing they'd be left is home field. The Dodgers have 94 wins, but I don't think they'd be able to make up that gap. Uh, then you have the Brewers on top of the Cubs, or eight on top of the Cubs. And the Dodgers, 13 and a half on top of the Diamondbacks. Well, take a look at the wild card picture. It's the Rays, Blue Jays, Mariners, and Rangers. Mariners and Rangers again tied, so they'd be tied for that final spot. The Yankees, seven and a half games back. They're just done, like I mentioned before. And then in the National League, it's the Phillies, the Diamondbacks, the Cubs, and the Marlins. Now, holy shit. As poorly as they've been playing, the Cincinnati Reds are just a half game back. And I say poorly. I mean, they're six and four in their last 10, but they've lost two in a row. So they were playing well before that. The one that didn't sit well with me was when Hunter Green struck out 14 guys and they took a 3-1 lead into the ninth and ended up blowing it. So uh, they do... Hold on a second. Now, like, the, look, there's an article here about the Padres in the playoff. I mean, there's no way. They're four back. 
I mean, the Giants, I guess, are just three back. But neither team is at 500. Padres are almost back to 500. They've won seven in a row. We're not buying this shit, are we? I mean, dude, I think they're a good team. You look at their run differentials, plus 82. They're the only ones besides the Cubs who are at plus 91. The run differential for the Arizona Diamondbacks is disconcerting. It's minus 16. Wow. So, anyhow, we got big weekend series starting today. It's going to be Colorado at Chicago, Pittsburgh at Cincinnati, Toronto at Tampa, Milwaukee at Miami, New York at Philadelphia, Atlanta at Washington, Arizona at the Yankees. It's kind of a fun one. You have Baltimore at Cleveland, the White Sox at Boston, Seattle at Texas, Kansas City at Houston. The Angels at Minnesota, Detroit at Oakland, St. Louis at San Diego. So this is good for San Diego because St. Louis has been dog shit. I mean, they're 20 games under 567 and 86. So I guess technically it was at 19 games under 500. But then you have San Francisco at the Dodgers. They're just going the wrong direction. Uh, good morning to each and every one of you guys, by the way. And Pete, Henry, I'm ready whenever you are too, man. Go ahead and click on. I went to the baseball scores for you. You have the guest link or you hit the knock. Whatever, man. Apparently, that guest link's not working. So, we'll let the uh, Gen Z are on here and see what he has to say about the San Francisco Giants and their absolute fucking debacle in this stretch run. Good morning, Henry. Hey, good morning, sir. How are you? I'm very well. You're wearing your Giants hat. You're still repping the colors. You're in Southern California. Of course. Did you go to the game or have you thought about going to Chavez Ravine to take uh, take in that Giants-Dodgers series this weekend? You know, I'm I'm thinking about it. I might I might cruise I might cruise over on maybe Saturday. Uh, definitely not Sunday. Sunday is NFL only for me. But yeah, it's uh, I mean, it's it's you got to rep the colors behind enemy lines as true fans does. You know, but I gotta say, there's a lot of there's a lot of fans right now that are that are showing some unfortunate true colors, and this is the time that. And what did our what did our founding fathers say? These are the times that try men's souls. Souls are being tried, and I don't like the colors of the souls right now. Eb, I'm not a fan. Okay, but you have to understand that the people that are complaining are the ones that have gone through thick and thin with the San Francisco Giants. A lot of them, I would say, are the Gen Xers, right? And I don't mean to make this. Uh, Look, fans are fucking fans. I don't care if you're a boomer or Gen X or millennial or Gen Z. Like, none of it. Look, a fan's a fan. But I will say that there's a group of us that went to Candlestick Park that endured some of the tough losing seasons of 100 losses in Mm -hmm. 85 and everything. Like, I mean, you're even fucking thinking about this shit, right? You weren't even born. So... You go through this period and you go through Candlestick and then it's Pac Bell and they get the shiny new ballpark and really cool. And 
Then you get to watch Barry Bonds and just, oh, what a fucking legend. I'm the best player that's ever played the game. It's as simple as that. I mean, really, he's better than Babe Ruth. The more I've dove into this stuff, like he's that good. So then after Bonds leaves, you're treated with Buster Posey and Madison Bumgarner and the first World Series title in 2010. That was 2010, that was 2012, that was 2014. And you're rolling. And you mm-hmm. had Bruce Bochy. And don't get me wrong. Like, you know, through all that, too, I forgot to mention, like, the Will Clark years in 89. Like, that's what made me a fan. But now you bring in Gabe Kapler. Bochy was showing the door, whether you could call it however you want. But you bring in Farhan Zaidi and Gabe Kapler. It's just a different regime. And so when the regime is doing well and the regime is winning, the new thing, right? They won 107 games a couple years ago. And that's awesome. But when all of a sudden you see it going the other direction, it becomes it becomes an issue and fans become disgruntled. It's expensive to go to the fucking ballpark. That's probably where I think you you you're seeing a lot of the angst. Oh, and I'm not just seeing it. It's it's become part of I guess you could part of you could parlay that as part of like my daily uh, existence now as the social media manager i not just see i feel like every comment that every line of hatred every feeling of disgust it hits my phone i see it it's almost like it's coming at me now and so i'm kind of taking this personally i know we are the no filter network but i don't want this to be a no brain cell network i get what you're saying you know there's a little feeling of angst but let me just Let's just put some facts on the table here while, while, while I'm here with my computer, with the, with the data. So I love Bruce Bochy. I love Bruce Bochy. And I was spoiled. Growing up, I was like 10 years old. We won our first World Series. You talk about, what was it, 56 years of torture when they first moved to San Francisco and you got nothing. You got blue balled in 2001 against the Angels. They were close a couple of times. And then they had real shitty rosters. Tough. Well, Bruce Bochy comes in, and as you understand, you play the game of baseball, it is a process. And for years of being shitty, you get rewarded. Correct me if I'm wrong, because I didn't play professional baseball, but if you are shitty, you get a ton of capital, you get draft picks, and you get freedom to build. And so the Giants, who were shitty for a really long time, all of a sudden are getting countless evidence and and a ton of examples of world-class talent the buster posies the madison Bumgarners, the pablo sandoval's all these amazing guys that we got to watch and root for and honestly made bruce bochi's job a lot easier bochi had some really shitty years i love bochi as a coach i i i loved his style i know he's old school you guys are old school guys but when you are blessed with a roster such as the one we had in 2010, 2012, 2014, and you're watching three World Series come in, yeah, your standard is peak and the bar is set really high. When those guys go away and you're left with a mid roster and a new coach, it's a lot easier to call out the coach because he has a fucking hand tattoo instead of looking at the problem indirectly and in trying your best to solve the problem what a manager does and i'm not going to mansplain what a manager is to you because you played but a manager different than an nba coach and an nfl coach is you manage 
the team in front of you. Baseball is won as an organization. Basketball can be won overnight with a new coach. Look at the Sacramento Kings. The Kings were poo-poo for 50 years, just poo-poo. All of a sudden, Mike Brown comes in overnight. They are the number two seed in the Western Conference, and they are giving the Warriors a seven-game series. Honestly, if the Kings win, they're probably going to the Western Conference Finals. NFL, same thing. You could change your culture overnight with coaching because it's play calling. Brock Purdy is a great quarterback. If Brock Purdy is on another team, not the Niners, do you think he's going to the NFC Championship? Hell no. He was the last pick of the draft. He's amazing, but he's perfect in this system. He's not a system quarterback, but the Shanahan system elevates him. Baseball is different. The whole organization is responsible. It's not just the manager. It's the GM. It's the owner. I think there's a lot of distaste towards the manager because he doesn't look like a traditional manager. And people are like, oh, their shitty lives and their shitty existence or their shitty wife or their shitty job is pissing them off. And so they're like, I'm going to go after something that I don't know is traditional in my life, which is the manager. If you have a shitty team, you have to play the numbers. That's what they're doing. We're, we're not even that bad. We're like at 500 with one of the worst rosters we've ever seen. So I, I'm, I'm sick of this like, fuck Kapler, fuck these guys. Like, honestly, maybe write a letter to the ownership team. Maybe it is Farhan, but it's definitely not Kapler. The guy just came off of a 107-win season like two years ago with probably one of the more mediocre rosters in Giants history. I'm sorry. I'm really sick and tired of seeing all the bullshit comments come in from our fans, which is quite frankly, not only misguided, but fucking moronic. Excuse okay. my angle. Okay. Well, I would tell you this is that a manager in baseball is responsible for the culture first and foremost. And when you're winning 107 games, fuck. Yeah. You're obviously doing something right. But the risk in the way that the Giants do things was laid out very clear in Tom Verducci's article the other day. And that was the fact that they have no star players. They have platoons at basically every single position. They do not let their starters throw more than Four innings, basically, is what it averaged out. I think 73 pitches. So maybe that would equate to five, but I doubt it. The problem with that, when it comes to a culture perspective, is that when you don't have guys on the field posting up each and every single day, you have a fucking leadership problem. Because who is it that is supposed to step up in the locker room or on the field and say, boys, hop on my back today? When they're not out there every day and they don't feel comfortable taking that leadership position on. Is this solely on Kapler? No. I think it's asinine to even think that it's his fault for the Giants' demise this season. Is it Farhan Zaidi? I don't know. They tried to sign Judge. They tried to sign Carlos Correa. Mm-hmm. And I think, thankfully, as you can see with all the injury issues that he's dealing with, we're thankful that, you know, that as a Giants fan, that didn't happen. But there needs to be accountability. Now, the issue here is, is that who do you think's in a better position right now? 
the San Francisco Giants or the Oakland A's? Oh, my God. The Giants. 100%. 100% wrong. It's the fucking Oakland A's. You know why? Because they're going to get the fucking first pick of the draft. When you're in mediocre land, you're not going anywhere. So all the guys that you even mentioned, look, the Giants have never sucked. If you go back and look at the years they didn't make the playoffs, whether it was, you know, that, that whole late 2000s, they were finishing sort of middle of the pack. They got lucky, but also did a really good job with scouting, with international signs. You bring up Pablo Sandoval, you bring up Buster Posey, you bring up Madison Bungler. These guys weren't the first picks of the draft. These guys were, were picked in the, you know, I think like mid first round, I have to go back and look at it to be perfectly, you know, on point on this. But what was created there with Bruce Bochy was a culture of accountability, a culture of winning, a culture of communication. And I don't say that Cap doesn't do that. I don't know. I've talked to Gabe Kapler before and I interviewed him. It was I did one of their games in Philadelphia. I think it was the first or second year as a manager. And I said, what, did, what, what have you experienced so far that you did not think it would be like this, so to speak? He said, well, when I came in here, I realized that, and I had my, my ways of thinking and, you know, how we did things with the Dodgers and everything else when it came to platoons and matchups. He goes, I need to realize that these are people, like these are real people. And so he, he knows this. Kapler knows this. But with that, the question becomes, how do you get the most production out of those guys when you put them out there? No, he's done a good job of platoon matchups. That's the one thing they say they do well. But I think Gabe Kapler, Farhan Zaidi, the Giants' entire staff in general, which consists of 16 fucking coaches, at what point, too, are there too many cooks in the gosh damn fucking kitchen, man? I could tell you when I watch, and I'm just going to use this as a random example. When I watch an NFL pre or post game, and you look on the desk and there's five fucking people up there, right? And then you have a six that's on the field. I, from a production standpoint, it's too much. You like, it's, it's cool, the concept idea. We learned this with MLB Network, even on like a four man desk. There's just too many people there. And you're losing the great value that the one person's going to bring. I, there's ways to split this up. Well, when you have 16 coaches there, I mean, I got to believe everyone's afraid to step on each other's fucking toes. I, it just, dude, even like five coaches, like, like that's enough. I, I, don't, I don't understand that, but whatever. So all this said, I'm going to bring it back to what you were talking about. When you're the fucking manager, when you're that means you're the captain of the ship. And if you're the captain of the ship, that ship is sinking. And I don't care how or why that fucking ship is sinking, but it's going down. You know what you do? You put up your hand, you say, I'm going down with it. And I'm sticking with it. And I'll do everything I can to save this fucking ship from sinking. That's your job as a manager. That is accountability. If well, Gabe Kaplan or his ID just going forward... Be accountable. Figure out what you have to do to right the ship, whether it's free agent signs or whether it's international signs or just figuring out fucking, hey, let's make sure we nail the draft and player development. But, dude, there's a lot of promising things this year 
with the Giants. And that is the good young players coming up. But at what point do we have to get behind some of these guys and say, you're a fucking dudes? So and give them the chance on a daily basis. So I, I, I just want to circle back because the exact reason that I think the Giants are better off than the A's is because of everything you just said. And Kapler is going down with the ship. He's not folding in his ways right now. He's still doing what they've been doing all year. Unfortunately, the runs just haven't been going their way on defense. That's sort of the one thing that's clogged this whole matchup and game to game thing is that they're the last place team in fielding percentages, but they, they swung and missed in the off season. They almost got judged. They couldn't get judged. And they put a lot of faith in, in this. In, oh, why are they dog shit? Why are they dog shit defensively? They're dog shit defensively because they don't have guys running out at the same position every fucking day. But if they you had play better players. Position, you're going for matchups. You're sacrificing defense. Why are they so dog shit on the bases? It's a mentality. You know what? Tory fucking Labello of the Arizona Diamondbacks, the manager. You know what I heard the other day? Every one of their fucking players has a green light. Every one of their players has a green light to steal. Get a lead, get a jump, go. This is let them play baseball shit. When you give players freedom, instead of fucking micromanaging every goddamn little fucking thing, dude, I'm telling you, it fucking works. So, I think from an overall perspective, are they that far off? No, they have a lot of things, like good young talent, whatever else. I just think they need to look within their entire culture right now and try to figure out if they're fucking micromanaging this thing just a little bit too much. Dude, if they have one or two more players that they got in the offseason, they're right back in the mix of being a really good team in the NL. You saw that two years ago when they won 107 games. They had a lot of guys get hurt this year. Injuries are a real thing. The A's will take six years before they're relevant. The only good thing about the A's, what they're doing right now, is getting the fuck out of Oakland. I'm sorry. Blowing up a team and just starting over and getting all these picks – Took the Orioles like 15 years before they're even doing anything. Now, by the way, congrats to the Orioles. You had like probably some of the worst odds to win the World Series, and you're you're in great shape now. Great season, but guess what? That that doesn't happen. That's not that's not a normal fucking thing. It's a it, it that just sometimes when you blow things up, it stays blown up. It no, stays it, blown no, up. Look at look at the fucking Houston Astros. Look at what happened in the Astros. Dude, the Astros were the worst team in baseball in, let's call it 2014, right? Losing 100-plus games every single year. And Sports Illustrated, on the cover of it, wrote an article that said your 2017 World Series champions, Houston Astros. Like, everybody laughed. Everyone thought it was the biggest fucking joke. But sure as shit. All of those draft picks, right? Oh, right. Is that the same? The is that the same Astros team that cheated? Is that the same Astros team that cheated? I can't remember. Did, uh, I, I, did they, well, did, everybody, everybody was cheating at that time. And on, oh, on that note, oh, I see. Including the team they play in the fucking World Series, the Dodgers were cheating like motherfuckers too. Well, they it's, were. A, it's, a, it's a great example you use that Astros team because, like, the trash team that they are, they're banging on trash cans. Happy you brought that up. So, I'm sorry. I think this year the Giants were plagued with injury and the the program that they ran of platooning players was because they had probably one of the more mediocre and bullshit rosters in history. And that's not Bro, honestly, the not, their roster is not bad. Everyone like, is from Sacramento. Have, they're all kids. It's all kids. They're kids. And then you, you fluff in the Mitch Hanegers. Mitch Hanegers hasn't been healthy. That's been an issue. Jock Peterson. 
injury. Well, look, there, there's there, Brandon Crawford. Injury, like, old. Andy Davis. That's not a bad roster. That's why they were competing and doing well. The ship started to sink because when they were they were exposed injury. because they were pretty fucking one-dimensional. And their one-dimension, ready for this, was platooning. They do that well. But they didn't have a starter that could go deep in the game besides fucking Alex Cobb and Logan Webb. So you, got, you basically had two starters. You had a defense that was underwhelming, to say the least. I Brandon Crawford, now, that, hold on a second, because that said, their catching core has been fucking fantastic of the young guys. They, they've oh. done a really, really nice job. Yes. But outside of catcher, dog shit everywhere else. Brandon Crawford's one of the elite defenders of our generation, but he's just not healthy right now. So he's also old. He's it, old. Yeah, it happens, bro. I get it. But at some point, look, I do. I, the Giants aren't that far off. They're they're really not. And, I'm not. and they're better than the A's. They have a better going back to what I said. They have a better. But the A's are going to. And there will be. They will be better off in the A's because they're just two players away. This system works. It's proven to work. They won 107. They had. They were one foot away. If Lamont Wade. You know the game when they're playing the Dodgers. Lamont Wade puts that ball a foot to the left instead of being a long strike and a home run. That's a different series. They beat the Dodgers. They do. It's a walk-off. That's that's the thing about baseball is it's a game of – it really is a game of like just simple situations. That's it is, all it is. It is, but it is, but it isn't because that's the reason why you play 162 games. It's the fact that you – look, after 162, you know who the fucking best teams are. And here we are, and the Giants – at this point, have played 104, 153 games. 100, and they, 153 games. And you know what they are? 500. They're a fucking below 500 team. They're that, 76 and 77. Oh, okay. And so they're a tick below 500. They are. And it's not a terrible thing to live in mediocrity because you get to decide we're going to go one way or the other. Now, the Giants, they're a big market team. They don't have the luxury of tearing it down like – the Orioles did, like the Astros did, like the A's are currently doing. I they, they don't have that luxury. But before this is all said and done, you, they do have to rethink how they're going about trying to win baseball games because not having starting pitchers that can throw more than fucking 75 pitches is a problem. It taxes the gosh damn bullpen. Having a defense that you have guys playing out of position is a fucking problem. Having the worst team speed in all of baseball means you're unathletic. That's a problem. So, as you go into the offseason, you got to fix those fucking problems. Farhan Zaidi, super smart dude. I trust in Farhan. I really do. I trust in the process. But adjustments have to be made. Not to mention the fact I'd reevaluate the 16 person fucking coaching staff. That's too many. Too many cooks in the kitchen. Too many mixed messages going to the players. Play free, play fearless. This is Justin Fields shit. You hear him? He's like, why are you having so many issues in the first couple weeks of the season? He's like, I don't know. I just got a lot of shit running through my head. Got a lot of, like, Justin Fields, go out there and fucking play. Hey, as a coach, I don't give a fuck. You're not putting that kid in the best positions to succeed. So the question becomes, how do we put the best, the players, how do we put them in the best position to succeed? Justin that, Fields is a bad, bad example. A manager to figure out. 
Justin Fields is a horrible example because he can't make a goddamn read. He was played for Ohio State with an elite passing tree. He would throw to the open man because he has Olave and Harrison on Jr. on his team. But I hear what you're saying. It sounds like we're saying the same thing. The Giants need to make a few adjustments. There are a few players away. Maybe the system changes. You don't platoon as much when you have better players. Almost like exactly what I was saying. You get a better roster because this roster is mid. It's not Tapper's fault. Giuseppe Pepe Manuele, nice call yesterday on the Giants, or excuse me, the yes. 49ers to the yes. over on the teaser. I had yes. 49ers over. He drills it with the fucking teaser. Brilliant. Almost calls a score. Which no, it was perfect. It was, it was, he nailed it. That said, he's gonna, hey, he's going to have our balls, Henry, if we don't fucking end this because we're okay. already overtime. Got it, got it, got it. It talks, man. Maybe I'll let you back on here again. (laughs) See you, buddy. Thank you.